All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. My name is Terry Lynn here, and I'm with my co-host, Travis Marzani. You're listening to the Build My Online Store podcast, and today we're going to talk about 22 Laws of Marketing. So this book came out, I think, in 1994 by this guy, Jack Trout and Al Reese. I think they're marketing consultants now. I'm not really sure what they do, but I first heard about this book from Tim Ferriss, I think, in an interview when he was talking about if you were to get started in business, uh, what are the top four books you would recommend? And even some other bloggers, I think like Derek Halpern at Social Figures talked about this. And really this book kind of explains marketing at a high level um, kind of breakdown. And it's just kind of a book I've went back to two or three times over the past couple of years just to get a refresher. So today we'll talk about part one, uh, the first 11 laws. And then next time we'll talk about part two, the next 11 and the 22 laws. Uh, they're kind of hard to digest in one session. So that's why we're splitting this up. And before we get into this, some updates on us because we took a small break. Uh, Travis, what are you up to? A couple different things. One of the big things is I'm trying to take some of the advice from the last book we talked about, Trust Me, I'm Lying, and trying to get some PR. So I have a, da a dance blogger that's going to be reviewing some of our products. That will be coming out pretty soon. And I found out that I have a friend. I don't know if I talked about this on the last episode. I have a friend at the local newspaper. So I'm hopefully going to be featured in an article next few weeks. I'm excited about that. And is that like a, how big is the circulation? Do you know? You know, I don't know. But it, it, as far as a local paper, it's like our big local paper. I, I can ask them for circulation. I, they have probably around 20 employees uh, at least when I walked in there. So it seems it's a decent size from what I can tell. Oh, no. Yeah. So what's your plan after this? Once you get the coverage, what are you going to do? You know, I'm going to see how that goes. I'm probably going to try to take it to like KTLA. It depends on what kind of angle they take to take it to like KTLA. Maybe they'll take it to some other California newspapers. Um, but I think I'm going to try to focus more on the dance blog because I think that's where the real like link juice and all that kind of fun stuff is. Yeah. And that's where all your customers are, too. Not like some random KTLA station. Like I, get, I can see the point in getting the social proof from that. Yeah, I think that if I, I get featured on the local newspaper, KTLA, others like that, it'll be easier to get on the dance blogs because we'll have a list of other places we've been featured. Yeah. All right. So for me, uh, I've been taking a little break. Um, so I've been working with some listeners on some store management. So basically this involves like uh, working with them on content for the page uh, kind of stuff with their blog newsletter updating their products guides and it's kind of interesting though like working with some listeners who have been with the podcast for like two years and it's kind of cool because they already kind of know who i am and i'm not just some like random guy trying to pitch people to help with too so yeah, maybe that's what i've been working on the past month or so more or less cool how do i get a free consultation with you <laughs> well, you, you can just call me anytime, right? Because you have my Skype number. But uh, basically, I have a... Cool, I'm going to take advantage of that. <laughs> yeah. So there's a sidebar on the website, uh, billmylinestore.com, where you can fill out a quick form uh, to get like an audit to see if we're a good match. So uh, most of the people that have reached out are like, you know, kind of solo entrepreneurs who have been running the stores two, three, four, maybe five years. And they're still doing the operation side day to day. And they know they need to do some content stuff, whether it's email on the blog. And so basically, I'm just jumping in to help them with some of that stuff, uh, take some stuff off their plate. Or, you know, if they need some kind of updated tools to run their store, things like that, uh, can kind of help out. All right, so let's jump into this then. So 22 laws of marketing. Law number one, leadership. Uh, so this one talks about being first because uh, he's saying it's better to be the first person than it is to be second or whatever. So our example was who's the first president of the United States? Everybody knows that's George Washington, but who is the second president of the United States? I'm going to know because I just Googled it and it was what? John Adams. 
Yeah, but we had no idea. I'm pretty sure your response was, who the hell's John Adams? When we looked that up. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> this was before the call. We were like, who the, who the fuck is John Adams? And now that I had the Google. I guess John Quincy Adams. Then it makes... The name Quincy reminds me uh, of who he was, too. So I, Didn't John, John Adams... Uh, oh, never mind. I was going to say the beer guy. That sounds That's awful. Sam Adams. I know, I know. That's why I caught myself and I was like, oh, geez. So the question is, do you know who Samuel Jackson is? I'm pretty sure I know who Samuel Jackson is. Yep. <laughs> but it has nothing to do with the law of leadership. <laughs> so let, let, let's talk about the law of leadership a little bit. So the idea is you want to be the first person to do something because then everyone associates that product, that thing with you. So if you're the first one to come out with mouthwash, for instance, you're more likely to be successful because people will think of mouthwash, they'll think of your brand. So you, if you have an idea for where you can be a leader that's a great product and that's something you should really pursue yeah, i think the dependency is on if you can be the leader right like if you look at like facebook it was not the first social media site to be successful right it was, there was like friendster like myspace zanga or like whatever icq and that actually leads in i don't think you did this on purpose but that's a law too though so the law of category which talks about if you can't be first Try to be first in a new category. So Facebook was the first social media in uh, just college friends. And that's how it started, right? And then at a certain time, it got big enough where it could expand. Yeah, that's true because MySpace and everything else was for everyone, right? They were just trying to sign up everyone and everyone. When I first signed up for Facebook in like 2004, I needed I needed an EDU address and I couldn't sign up with a .com or like a Hotmail or a Rocketmail or anything too. And I was always oh, kind of cool. It was like social people. It's like for schools, and then I mean, I think around like 2007, it became open to everyone or something like that, and then that's when it really kind of blew up. Uh, and the example they use in the book, which I really liked, is who was the first person to fly over the Atlantic? Charles Lindbergh. Now, who was the second? And this kind of goes back into Law One. Nobody knows who the second person was to fly over the Atlantic. But now, let me ask you another question: Do you know who the third person to fly over the Atlantic was? You probably do, and you probably don't even know you do. Amelia Earhart. And and the reason she was the reason you know her is because she invented a new category. She said, "Yeah, yeah, the first man to fly over the Atlantic—that's cool. But I'm going to be the first woman to do it." And people are like, "Oh, if you're the first woman to do it, we'll give you some credit. Like, good job." So she was able to create a new category. So I think it's important to kind of decide how you can do that with your brand. So um, I don't know if you have a good example. If you look at like B dancer, what would you say your category is in compared to everyone else? Well, one of the big ones is that. A lot of the dancewear is made in China or in not that many colors or whatever. So we're the first DIY dancewear brand. That's how we're starting to brand ourselves. I think I've talked about it before. We're going to come out with a whole series of DIY your dance costume videos on YouTube. And the idea is I want to own, I'm not going to own the word dancewear in people's mind. Capizio, Discount Dance, all these other com companies are already going to own it. But what I can own is DIY dancewear. Gotcha. So you're inventing your own category of DIY dancewear to own it. And right now, there's dancewear that you could DIY, but that's not how they brand themselves. So that's one of the routes I want to take. Let's, let's go. There was one more I note I put. I put Abraham Lincoln as category, right? Because he was... Because why would we remember him as either A, the guy that freed the slaves, and also the first president that got assassinated. And I'm not sure which one is more popular, but I think both do help him become like a legendary president because he was the first one to do both things that no one else did. But I guess you could also say history, it was that time where he was able to do that, right? Like, like you know, now no one's quote in slavery, but there are different types of slavery. But Yeah, I mean, he, I guess he did have his own category. Uh, in some ways, he was the first president after the split 
of the country after the Civil War, or he was the president during it, I should say. Usually in U.S. presidents, like what, George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, they're like the first two that usually stand out. Yeah, during exactly. wartime, I feel like, I mean, this is kind of getting off subject, but I think during wartime, yeah, as a president, if you do well, you're a little bit better known. Exactly. All right, so let's move on to law number three. So law number three is it's better to be first in the mind of the consumer than first in the marketplace. This one's a little bit tricky because you think that, you know, what, what you think you are in someone's perception is different than what you are in actually in the market, right? Like when you ask your friends, you know, what do you think of me? You, you might think there's an image of what your friends think of you and what you're good at, but when you actually ask them, it's probably different. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, one of the ways uh, they talks about in the book is if you, maybe you're not the first to market, but maybe you have a lot more money to spend on a marketing campaign and you can kind of become first in the mind of the consumers. And this is kind of ties back into like Google, Yahoo, or Facebook, MySpace. Uh, at this point, Facebook wasn't the first social media, but it's the first thing you think of in, in the mind of the consumer. When you think social media, you think Facebook. So it's basically saying it's not all lost if you're not the first one to come out. You just got to really work to be the number one in the person's head. Yeah, if you remember like when Google first came out versus Yahoo, like all the old search engines like Excite, Yahoo, they had all these categories on the front page trying to drive you into each one whereas google was just like a search bar and like it still is just a search bar and then they put the they put the ads within the search results not like on random pages trying to get page view hits too so i think from a consumer's mind you like you immediately think all right i go to google all i can do is search like that's all i can do on the site because you just have a search bar and like that's it yeah. all right so number four perception what's this one so it's talking about marketing is not just a battle of products it's a, a battle of perception so one of the examples they use in the book that i really liked is at least at the time that this book was written honda was the number one selling japanese car in the u.s so you would think if it's a battle of higher quality products if honda is the number one selling japanese car in the u.s it should be the number one selling japanese car in japan turns out it's not it's the third selling Japanese car in Japan. So Toyota and I, I forget the other one are above it. And the reason is in Japan, when people think of Honda, they think of motorcycles. So if you tell someone in Japan, hey, I just got a new Honda, they'll ask you, well, what kind of motorcycle did you get? If you ask someone in the US, hey, I just got a new Honda, they'll ask you, what kind of car did you get? So in America, we think of Honda as a car. In Japan, they think of it as a motorcycle, thus it's just an interesting concept how it's not about the quality of the product. It's about the perception on how you view the product. But I think as like an entrepreneur, it's easy to just think, like, man, my product's better. Like, why should, you know, why aren't they buying more of this, right? Like, you would think that making the better product actually makes a difference. But we you know, like McDonald's, they don't sell the best hamburger, right? They just, they, just have, they just have the best locations and they sell convenience. And, you know, they're by far better burgers out there. But you just don't have time to go in, order, sit down, you know, talk to a waiter, get an appetizer, they try to upsell you, and then like... Yeah, you know, I mean, you talked about uh, like Apple versus PC. Apple is perceived as way better. Like, uh, I saw someone the other day, one person had an iPad and one person had like a, another type of tablet. The other type of tablet, I guarantee, had better processor, better everything. But for whatever reason, I thought of the iPad as higher quality. And it might not be. Apple's done a really good job at perceived quality. At this point, yeah. Well, you look at even like an iPad; it just looks so beautiful, and like the case, the screen, and like every the way everything is so simple. Like, it's like you get like phones, like Samsung, HTC phones. Like clearly, they have better hardware, better cameras, better whatever functions, like you know, weird wireless things they can do. But like you know, the iPhone still sells way over that because you know, it's a perception thing too. But I also think on a different level, 
even though the hardware is better in like and some Android phones, like I feel like the software, Apple really has nailed that down, right? Like the user experience, um, kind of all that stuff. Which is why I guess maybe these phone makers think it's all about hardware, but it's actually about like the UX, UI, and the user experience when you're actually using the phone. Yeah, I I get that. I honestly I've used iPhones and I've used Androids. I like the Android better, and maybe it's just because that's what I'm I'm used to. Um, but I think this is true with a lot of things. Like if you look at a generic brand cereal at the grocery store, generic brand anything. Actually, my favorite example, and they didn't talk about this in the book, I wish they would have, is generic brand Tylenol versus real Tylenol or generic brand ibuprofen versus Advil. It's chemically exactly the same, but the, the Advil, the brand name sells better. It's exactly the same products. And that blows my mind. And how do they do it? A bigger ad budget. Because who wants Ralph's brand or whatever Kroger brand ibuprofen? Not that many people. But who wants Advil? A lot of people. And this brings me to an off topic. There's a Seth Godin blog I was reading called, he was talking about how best in the world is actually a really subjective thing. So uh, best is subjective to your budget, your situation, and everything right now. So like, so like, what's like the best car in the world? Probably like I don't know, a Lamborghini or Ferrari, right? But it's not practical for everyone to buy, right? Like your world is subjective to your budget, the amount of money you can spend on a car, your gas mileage you need. So like best in your world actually might just be like a, I don't know, Toyota Camry, right? Woo-woo, that's exactly, right. right? But, but like best in the world quote for someone else might be a Lamborghini. So it was interesting how when you kind of make your products and your marketing, like just because your product is the best doesn't mean it's always the best. It's the perception of, you know, how do you fit into the consumer's needs too. And it's always like easier said on paper than done too, which I find like this stuff, cause like it takes a lot of experimentation unless you just have domain knowledge in what your customer is doing too. Yeah, that's true. Your mom already had a background in dancewear. Mm-hmm. Like if you were to figure this out on your own, it'd probably be a lot harder, I guess. Oh, I wouldn't do it. Right. So with number five leads us to number five, uh, focus. So focus is a better word to own in the mind of the consumer rather than like, you know, a bunch of weird value propositions. So I guess in the book, he talks about FedEx, which basically owned the word overnight in terms of delivery because you had like, you know, two day shipping, whatever, three day shipping, whatever. I don't know, shipping that well, but basically FedEx, if you think of overnight shipping. Yeah, it's- yeah and w- what they tried to do was expand into international shipping, which DHL really owned. And that screwed them over because FedEx brand for a long time was like when it absolutely positively needs to get there the next day. So when people thought, oh, I need this to get somewhere, they would think of FedEx. But when they think of, I need to get, I need this package to get somewhere internationally, they think of DHL. So what FedEx did is they tried to go after DHL's market, which was bad because DHL already owned that. So what they actually did was they gave credence to the idea that international shipping is a big deal. So they're, this can, a better example of this could be in like, um, let's say a fast food versus like a healthy fast food option. In some ways, McDonald's going after the healthy fast food is almost not the best idea because it's giving credence to, hey, fast food's not that healthy for you. You should uh, you should go after a different fast food place. It's, I don't know if that kind of makes sense. It's like it's what we were saying about when we were throwing ideas about making like say like like butters, right? You have like generic peanut butter, like Skippies for everyone, and you can go super niche down to like almond butters, which I guess a lot of paleo guys like. And I don't even know what it was, but apparently it's a big thing in that community, right? and it's just like a super focused type of product versus like a generic generic skippy peanut butter yeah and so the idea too is like if you're skippy you don't necessarily you shouldn't make like natural whatever almond butter you should focus on what you're good at and if you're um actually an even better example is let's say you are one of those high-end almond butter natural brands you shouldn't make like a crappy generic peanut butter because it'll make your brand look 
worse. Exactly. Unless you do like a spin-off name that doesn't not no resemblance. But. And that's totally cool. That's a different yeah, that's a whole different thing. It's not it doesn't devalue your company. Yeah, because I think this is also like you remember how Budweiser called themselves the king of beers? They actually took that title off now. It's called Made for Music. Because with all the craft beers, they're no longer the king. And what's funny is I think a lot of these big companies are buying up little craft breweries to like at least get a share of that market. Like like it's branded separately, but they don't want to just completely get destroyed by all these craft breweries too. Hmm, I didn't know that. Alrighty, number six, exclusivity. You gonna talk about this one? Sure. So what this talks about, and it kind of ties in perfectly to what we were just talking about, but no two companies can own the same word in the customer's mind. And an example the book gave was how Burger King They've done some weird stuff with their marketing. So for a while, what they tried to do was go over the fast concept, like trying to sell themselves is really fast. And what happened? Well, McDonald's already owns that word. So if you try to go over, like try to take over fast, people will always know McDonald's is actually the fast hamburger joint. So what they ended up doing later that worked is a couple different things, but one of them was like, have it your way, which is kind of saying, you know, this is for more grown-up people. It's not for the younger demographic. And actually in the book, what I really loved is he said, you should, if McDonald's goes after kind of the fast, kind of the kids side of things, you should flip it. And actually this talks about law number nine, but I'm going to go ahead and finish it. You should flip it. If McDonald's is for kids, you should flip it. So Burger King is for adults and say something like, Hey, when you're ready to grow up and try a real hamburger, come over to Burger King. Yeah. There's like this Audi and BMW commercial. I remember we were just talking about before the call, like in Santa Monica, I'll link to the images. Basically, there was a picture of Audi, like new A8 or something like that, and then they said, hey, it's your turn, BMW. And then BMW put an ad next to it that said the new car, and they said checkmate. It was way bigger. Anyways, um, all right, so let's move on to number seven. Number seven is ladder. So this one's a little interesting because it was saying your strategy depends on which rung of the ladder you're on, whether you're number one or number two. So I guess uh, part of one of these examples, I think it was Avis and Hertz too, where Her- I think Avis says like, we're number two, but we try harder. We're basically highlighting that yeah. to number two. And yeah. basically it creates a different strategy that they have to play Yeah, exactly. Um, I guess like a David and, David and Goliath thing too, right? It's like these kind of these internet small brands that are being like, hey, you know, we're a small craft brewery and Seattle, Washington, and we brew everything in our backyard, and it's awesome, awesome, these flavors, pumpkin spice, whatever, but you can just go drink Budweiser. That's crap. Yeah, and another example they use in the book that I really like is Coke and Pepsi, and at the time of the book, Royal Crown Soda were the three biggest selling, like, Coke-type sodas, and they said that, look, if you're number one and you're Coke, your advertising should represent that fact. You should say, you know, something to do with like, we have the best soda. If you're Pepsi and you try to say, we have the best soda, that's not going to work because everybody knows that Coke's the most popular, hence the best brand. And now a really interesting part about that, Royal Crown Cola, which I barely even know of, tried to come along and tried to represent itself as the best cola brand. And it got killed. Like it, it just got murdered. And that's why I don't know about it is because they try to say, hey, we're the best, which with, they shouldn't have done that. You know, they should have had a different marketing strategy because they were number three. Yeah. All right. So number eight, let's move on. Uh, duality. You want to talk about this? One? Yeah. So at the, duality talks about at the end of like a battle in the whole marketing world, it usually comes down to like a two horse race. So some of the examples that uh, me and Terry came up with were McDonald's versus Burger King, Nike versus Adidas, though that one's kind of Reebok as well, I feel like. Um, Windows versus Mac, Democrat versus Republican, Shopify versus Big Commerce. And a lot of times, 
people think of two brands right off the top of their head, and those ones kind of dominate all the other competition. Yeah, I wonder if it's because our headspace is easier to you know process two things rather than like three. Because why is it not three? Usually it's like either or, or this and Actually, that, right? It's actually much easier for our brains uh, to make a decision between two things than three things. So if you ever have to make an, a decision between three things, you should break it down versus these two against each other, these two against each other, and then like kind of figure it out like that because that's just how our brains are structured, basically. If you think about it, it's funny. Even like sports brackets are organized that way, right? You have like you know 16 teams, two versus two, like one versus one, and then they branch up into the next bracket and until there's like... I would pay for a... a, a three-person game, three against three. <laughs> but it doesn't work or whatever. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, I guess you're playing pool, like with the, what was that, the three-player pool? like the. I don't call golf a sport, but... <laughs> yeah, sorry, golf guys who are listening right now. We just, oh, yeah, all right, whatever. <laughs> all right, uh, so I guess, um, yeah, Shopify versus BigCommerce. This is a kind of interesting one, too. I was thinking about this one because if you ask people, like, hey, what e-commerce platform should I use? Most people usually think Shopify or BigCommerce Maybe Volusion gets in there or like you know, 3D card, but very rarely do you hear. Just, you know, the, the ghetto. You know, I knew about Volusion when it was still underground is what I like to say. Alrighty, so number nine is opposite. So this one kind of plays into exclusivity and duality a little bit where uh, if you're aiming to be second place, it's best to be determined by the leader. So this one, I actually not, don't understand it that well. You want to explain this? Yeah, one? sure. It's basically don't try and be better. And we kind of talked about this before earlier, but basically if you're Pepsi, you shouldn't say, hey, we have the best cola. What you should say is, we're Pepsi, we're a cola for a new generation. And then what happens? Everybody wants to be hip and cool. So if you cater to the, the 16, another six, let's say the 16-year-olds to the you know 30-year-olds, people are going to be like, oh my God, I want to be part of that generation. And you talked about Avis versus Hertz as well. So if you're Avis, you shouldn't try to say, hey, we're the number one car rental place or we're the best car rental place. What you should say is, we try harder. Sure, we're number two, but we try harder. So if you want to get some great customer service, come to us. I mean, if you want a, a big brand, sure, go to Hertz, whatever. We don't want to deal with you. Uber kind of falls in this category in some ways where they're not saying that they're a better taxi company. They're saying we're everyone's private driver. You ever log in and see that on like the front screen? It's kind of interesting because like in the book, they were saying like it's always better to be different than to be better, right? Yeah. And, and in some ways, kind of Uber is doing that. It's like the old faithful taxi companies versus the upstart, you know, Silicon yeah. Valley company that's going against them to kind of rechange the whole transportation world. Yeah, definitely. I think they're, they're shaking things up. They're the young uh, buck on the game. I agree with that. Yeah, and, but then there's always going to be these old faithful guys who kind of like to stick with what they know versus the new guys and it kind of creates opposite David and Goliath thing in some ways that's too. Actually, that's actually a very interesting point because that's another thing the book talks about is how there's always going to be some people that want to be with the quote-unquote best brand. There's always going to be the people that want to buy the Coke, that want to have the Apple, that want to have you know that kind of stuff. But there's also always going to be people that want to go for the underdog. I was always one of those people. Everyone else liked Pepsi. I liked Seven Up and Sprite. Everybody else liked, you know, uh, some kind of chocolate bar. I loved Butterfinger because it was different. So there's always those two type of people. Yeah, and there's like these guys who just hate Apple stuff, and they're like, "Oh, why would you use Apple stuff? The hardware is so old, and it's such a closed system, and like, you know, like Android open source systems like Linux are so much better, whatever." And 
Yep. There's always going to be someone that wants the underdog, the different thing in the market. Exactly. All right. So law number 10 division kind of leads to this. Uh, over time, most categories will divide into numerous segments and categories. So if you look at cars, you know, luxury cars, sports cars, uh, you know, minivans, trucks, whatever, like these all end up kind of becoming their own segments with different categories that do have dualities uh, within the two. So even like computers, notebook PCs, mobile phones, even like uh, consumer versus professional software. You get like a lot of SaaS apps now. Uh, they have, you know, kind of like a free version, but whatever, that's just a trial. And then you have a enterprise version and like a individual version too. Right? In general, like they might have different segments, but it generally breaks down to these two. And either like cars, you have lightweight, full featured, or kind of different things that you can buy with upgrades or like base. Yeah, model. and I, I think this kind of ties into the second law, which is all about category. So it's you should know that almost every product over time is going to break off into categories. So if you're a computer company back, you know, 20 years ago, you, you should know that eventually it's going to be a different type of computer. So you, maybe you want to be the laptop company. Maybe you don't want to be the home PC company or things of, of that nature. Yeah, because back then it was desktop versus laptop. But then within laptops, you have like the MacBook Pro. Ultrabook. Ultrabook, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what do they call like the web book? Like all this kind of stuff. Now there's tablet, this and that. So the idea is there's lots of different divisions. Make sure you get your cut of the pie. So I guess let me ask you this. How do you see dancewear splitting into different divisions? Uh, do-it-yourself dancewear um, versus like, you know, big manufacturer. Or it could be like high-quality dancewear uh, versus like cheaper, low-quality dancewear. I mean, it's not a very technical thing, but I think that it'll be more like in the, the mind of the, the consumer. That's good. All right, so this moves on to law number 11, last one for this episode, perspective. So marketing programs are usually a result uh, of things that happen over time. And so in this book, he talks about um, sometimes if you have too many sales, you can train your customers to only buy only when you have a sale and it devalues your brand. And also, um, another example that he talks about is brand extension. So, for instance, uh, I think he talks about Miller High Life. Miller High Life was a really good selling beer. It was the working man's beer. So, at the time, they decided to come out with Miller Light, which sounds like a great idea. And they got more sales in the short run. But over the long run, what happened is not only their, their brand didn't really stand for anything because Miller High Life was for like the 30, 40, 50 year olds working class. And then Miller Lite was for the 20, 30 year old yuppies. So if you drink Miller, who are you? It doesn't mean anything. So it might short term increase your sales to do a brand extension. But in the long term, your brand's not going to stand for anything. It's going to be, you know, flimsy. But I think with Miller Lite, they also violated the focus law because there was already Bud Light. I think I remember that kind of dominated the light beer. Yeah. In yeah. some ways too. Right? Yeah. I think law 11 is just all about how what works in the short term, a lot of times will have the opposite effect in the long term. Yeah, but that's interesting because we were talking about discounts earlier too, right? Like you were talking about how summer is slower for you. And if you were to do a summer sale, would that train your customers to not buy? Yeah. And I don't know the answer to that. And I, I might have to test that out. We'll see. Thing is too, this book came out in 94. So I think a lot of stuff is still applicable, but you should still test everything and shouldn't take everything as like, the Bible. You know, especially the next 11 laws, I noticed a lot of things uh, that he talks about, and we'll talk about this in the next episode, that don't apply quite as much anymore. One thing he talks about in the later uh, laws is how you need to have a lot of money basically to market. And I think that was true before the internet was around. Now it's like you can you can do a lot of this stuff on your own. Yeah. Well, I think 
instead of money, it's more resources, like whether it's time, money, or energy. Right? Like if you have no money, you just gotta use sweat equity to spend time to build it up, right? But I guess we'll talk about that in the next episode. So uh, that's it for this episode, 22 Immutable Laws of Marketing. Check it out if you haven't. Um, you could probably get a free version somewhere online. There's a lot of, you know, it's kind of old books, so there's PDFs floating around. Uh, things like that and uh, that's it for us for this episode we'll catch up with you guys next week and if you want a audit of your store you need some help uh, with me hiring me so go check it out buildmyonlinestore.com fill out the form and we'll see uh, if we're a good match so that's it for now and we'll catch with you guys next time catch you guys next time